0: Hey, hey, hey now. This is Matt Pandola. I get to be your host for the Relative Run Readiness Podcast. So I want to tell you guys, I interviewed Jessica Dorrington today. Now, she is a physical therapist. I met her because working with Gwen Jorgensen, I was collaborating with Jessica on her training program and along the way really got to know jessica her beliefs her philosophies and it really helped with me and how i was going to progress gwen in her training program along with jessica so that collaboration was not only important but imperative and the type of person jessica is She leaves her ego at the door. She is always willing to give me any information I need. And she has all the patience in the world with me so that I can truly understand how I can help when more and others. And I talked about it in the podcast today, but I have truly started to bring a lot of what Jessica teaches to all of the athletes I get to serve. And so I know that the advice that she gives today can help all of you. She's really great about giving things that everybody can do in their everyday to day life. And Yes, we talk a lot about running and how these things could help with running goals as well. But this is something that I feel like everybody should be trying to incorporate because we all want to function well. So a little bit about Jessica before we start the interview. She is the director of Bethany Physical Therapy. She's got her master's of physical therapy She specializes in pelvic rehabilitation, and she has her practitioner certification for pelvic rehabilitation, along with her orthopedic manual therapist license, her certified strength and conditioning specialist um, certification, and also she is a former collegiate cross country and track runner. So quite the polymath, Jessica has it all. We are so lucky to have her on the podcast today. I can't wait for you guys to give me the feedback and what you're using with her advice to help you with your success. So guys, without... Oh, hey, I got one more thing to say. You're also going to learn today about how butt plugs can work with your running. Yes. Yes. I said butt plugs. So if you want to find out, you're going to have to listen, but I'm being serious. I never thought I would say that on the podcast, but there's it's an actual thing and it's for an actual reason. And today we found out why. So find out why. All right, guys, have fun. Jessica, would you like to just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your history as a physical therapist?
1: Yeah, thanks, Matt. And thanks again for just all your collaboration. I feel like that's where both of our worlds need to meet is just being able to um, bring everybody's experience and knowledge and really piece it together so that we can help each individual kind of master and meet their goals. Um, But myself as a PT, you know, I think every PT has the same story. We all start off as some athlete who gets injured and we end up in a PT's office. And that's exactly what happened to me as a, high school runner. And I said, well, this kind of looks like a fun job. And so, um, that kind of sparked, um, just my interest and love for the body with movement and physical therapy. And I originally thought all I was going to do was own a, own a sports clinic. And so if you would have asked anybody in my class, they would have said, oh yeah, she's going to be sports minded runners only. Um, and then I fell into, a Um, position where I was a pelvic floor PT for a clinic. They said, can you do this? And I'm like, yeah, I'll just teach some exercises and really realize that we need to marriage the two of those things um, to really get the most impact out of our function and out of all of our sports and any movement that we're trying to do.
0: That's interesting because I was wondering, how does somebody get into pelvic floor (laughs) (laughs) rehab? right?
1: You know, now, um, as the profession is gaining a lot of people, that's their only interest and passion. Um, But for me, I took a different path. It was more the pelvic floor therapist prior had left and they said, well, you fill this role. And um, so mine kind of was a different approach than some people are doing.
0: Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what you do specifically for yeah. pelvic floor. All I know is that, I remember you telling me that some people actually wear like a butt plug. So we have mm-hmm. to talk about that because what. what <laughs>
1: We'll get there a little while later. You know everybody's going to keep listening now that that you've thrown that out there. (laughs) All I can think
0: of now when I watch people racing, especially since you, uh, Jessica, guys, works with uh, several different elite athletes as well. She works with, again, anywhere from the Mm -hmm. amateur, just I Mm -hmm. love to get out there and run to to the elite, which is great, because I think that gives you a much better understanding of spectrum, right? But all I can think of is, um, which one of those runners has a butt plug right now? That's, you know, I'm so immature, because that's, that's where my mind goes to now. Um, but, uh, but as far as I love it, right? So your passion, though, I want to talk about that. I love that. First of all, with your practice, I know that you are very, uh, culture oriented, and that you really want this culture to serve people. And and I took a note of that looking at just your bio, and you uh, you you say let's uh, work together to get uh, get you back to what you love to do, and for the the culture of your business, all about family oriented uh, servant led practice. Which that's so well said, and that's not accidental. Um, we're here to serve our athletes, and one thing that my little quick. Story working with the great coach Bobby McGee, who also works with Gwen. Mm-hmm. He said to me a few years ago, he was asking me about my running background, and I said I ran for so and so, right? And he said, mm-hmm. "No, you didn't, Al." And I thought, "Yeah, no, why? You don't believe me? I did. I, I, I ran for, <laughs> for him, and I ran for them." And, um, and he said, "No, no, you, you ran for you, didn't you?" As well, no. yeah. And he said, "So, so I'm, uh, I'm going to." help you to change that language because they're not Mm -hmm. your athletes, right? They are athletes that you're serving. Mm -hmm. And although I really understand where he was coming from, it was so habitual for me to say my athletes over the years, because that's how I was brought up as an athlete. Somebody's coaching me, I'm their athlete. So I, I felt like that, that term you used about serving is, is so important. Um, you want to elaborate a little bit on how you have a very successful business with um, serving these athletes and you have a pretty big staff. So you want to talk a little bit about how you created this, this culture and how you're helping through this culture.
1: Sure. You know, I think number one, it's just aligning with someone's goals, you know, sitting down with whatever athlete is in front of you, whether they're recreation or um, whether they're a 76 year old, you know, just trying to get back to doing what they want to do. So it can be this large spectrum, but just uh, really aligning with their goals and listening. And I think the other piece that is really the servant part of that is somebody to finally hear their story from start to end. You know, when an athlete comes in to me, we do an intake and we sit down and I get to know every injury they've ever had. I don't care if they've had a stress fracture in high school, if they had, you know, some other repetitive use injury in college, I want to know all those things, because we can put all those pieces together. And that's what maps out what we can develop for a good plan. So I think that's how we can serve people the best. And then, you know, just really giving them an an individual program that's about their body. And oftentimes they get answers that are, wow, I never knew this, because nobody's ever looked at all the things. It's just not one body part.
0: You know, I I work with a great doc here in Reno, and uh, mm-hmm. Doctor Namely Albertson, and she'll actually be on the podcast again here in a couple of weeks, but she. Also spends a lot of time with intake. And mm-hmm. I noticed that um, not a coincidence, right? The the best docs and the best programs, they really spend more than that 15 minutes on that initial intake. Yeah. Right. And that, yeah. that I feel like is so important, but it, it's unfortunately, it's not that common. I don't <laughs> think.
1: Yeah, you know, I think as you get further in your career, um, I think you realize that things are always connected, that if someone's thoracic spine isn't rotating enough, that's what could be causing their Achilles injury. And so you start to kind of see those mapping and see those things happen. So the more you learn and the more you master your profession, I think that just naturally happens.
0: Well, being that we have a lot of runners, and this is mm-hmm. uh, the Relative Run Readiness Podcast. Mm-hmm. I know people are very interested in, for example, you um, specialized in some interesting areas like how the foot affects the rest mm-hmm. of the body. And mm-hmm. I was wondering with that, because it's such a complex area, even though it's mm-hmm. Just it's your foot. It seems like yeah, it should be pretty simple, right? It yeah. you have ankle flexion, uh, what else is there, right? But there's mm-hmm. a lot to it, and of course, uh, last night I was giving a talk on this subject with the windless mechanism, right? So, yeah. how your body basically yeah. is yeah. going to be affected. Because of Mm -hmm. what your big toe is doing, right? So stub your toe, get a headache, right? We've heard that before. Mm Yep. Um, so would you speak a little bit? Um, I know it's so hard to keep this stuff simple, right? We were talking (laughs) about that my mind just
1: went a hundred different places. (laughs)
0: Right, right. It's like uh, but but if we could maybe stick a little bit with uh just performance and running and and in your mind what would be the main factors that you think um need to be uh, kind of uh, programmed in for somebody who who does enjoy running and wants to be able to do it long term without say you know having those potential injuries um is it just as simple as let's just balance on one foot and is that good i mean i'm leading you into this but uh what's your feelings on this
1: <laughs> Uh, you know, I think number one, the foot has to do two things. It has to be this really rigid system um, to take some ground reaction forces, but then it has to be really flexible in order to kind of give us that proprioception or that balance that you're talking about, and then go back into a rigid um, system again to push us off when we're ready for push off. So it has to do those two things really, really well. And so balance um, is really, really important because it's going to allow us to drop into that pronation and i always say pronation is not a dirty word because it's not a four-letter word it's okay for it to happen Um, it's part of the gait cycle Um, but just you know working on that balance and working on that pronation can really help strengthen the foot intrinsics make that big toe work that you're talking about and get our foot to really learn how to navigate the terrain that we're on
0: yeah and when you say intrinsics Mm -hmm. um i think you're in in Uh, in one aspect, we might be talking about like establishing, uh, the short foot. Right. Um, and, but I don't, I feel like there's uh, a lot of misunderstanding about how we work on some of those factors as opposed to involving the entire leg. Right. Um, and what I like to try to do is I say, maybe have somebody stand on top of a couple of quarters, right. And then they will shift their body weight a little bit forward, shift a little bit back. I also will put a quarter on their heel and then I will have them find neutral use uh some forced exhalation get the lower ribs down and find their sweet spot and then that's how I start to teach stacking because I'd like to say that when we're stacked properly it's hard to run wrong now we just have to learn to be able to um to to hold that position as we're as we're running so i i have some drills that i like to start with that are pretty basic like that um would you maybe share some ideas that you have on um, On some of these short foot or uh, some of these foot positions that might help the listener a little bit.
1: Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest ones I do is really isolating flexor hallucis longus and making sure that it has good strength and it can actually bend your big toe all the way under. You'll see so many people have a weakness of their flexor hallucis longus, and that really stabilizes and kind of supports that middle arch. So checking to make sure that you can bend that big toe all the way under. If you can't, doing some simple band strengthening literally around the first um, or the last digit of your toe can be really helpful just using a long therapy band putting it around the toe and trying to curl under or just grabbing your big toe holding it under and isometrically trying to see if you can keep that toe to stay there if you aren't um, strong enough to do the band and then we usually move into more of a standing position like you're talking about finding the same corners of the feet Um, that you address with the quarters. Um, I tend to put a therapy band underneath the first met head or right underneath the ball of the foot and they have to hold up on it. That way if they lose their foot, the band comes out and it's a really good awareness of when you lose that foot. So you can do balance in that way, Or then you can add running or hip specific motions on the other side to change your balance side to side, forward and back with like hip abduction, kind of bringing the leg out to the side, bringing the leg out to the back where they're having to maintain that foot position while the other leg moves.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. With with the quarter drill, I should mention that when they're done, we actually have them pick their foot up and if the quarters are stuck Mm -hmm. to the bottom of their foot, it's a good indication, right? (laughs) Um, right. And it's also great. I love what you just said with the band under the mm-hmm. foot, uh, that's it's such a simple external cue that they can mm-hmm. use, but it's very mm-hmm. simple. If you lose the band, you didn't hold the, your position. So um, I do actually have some videos on that guy. So what I'll do is I'll put links to those videos uh, to the podcast. So you can see what Jessica and I are talking about here. I know it's sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine this stuff. That's, uh, that's part of podcasting world, right? So, links help with that. So definitely check those links out guys. And uh, with Jessica, I also want to just mention that you were a collegiate runner as well. You mentioned Mm -hmm. high school, but I know you ran Mm -hmm. collegiate um, cross country and track. And uh, with that, I was interested in whether or not you thought that the amount of Volume with the amount of intensity you were doing at the time was appropriate for your age and your readiness level. So I think that's something that is a constant conversation. And I know that you, of course, um, are always working with athletes that may have done too much too soon. What was your experience there, Jess?
1: Yeah, um, that's a great question. You know, when I look at the volume, I was an injured runner. So I came in, um, injured out of high school, um, had some great moments, and then would just get injured again. And it really wasn't the volume load of the running. It's just that stress, to your system comes in many forms. And I was going to PT school. So I was actually in grad school while I was still running. Um, And so I was trying to do grad school, I was working a few jobs and trying to do Track doing my daily doubles at times, and so sleep and nutrition were not there. And you know, I think as you become a more experienced runner, you learn like, oh, maybe I need to back off a little bit on my training today because I had too much other external stressors to the system. And when you're in college, you know, you've got what the coach says to do lined up in the locker room. And you're just trying to do that workout regardless of what um, or how much fuel is in the tank. So I think the the dosage would probably have been okay um, if it wouldn't have been for um, kind of the external stressors. Um, Now, in the weight room, I'd say maybe there was probably a little too much load too fast. Um, But, you know, that was those two things being aside. I think they were separate.
0: Yeah, no, you know what? I love that you brought this up too, because as a strength coach, I was working as a high school uh, distance coach, right? So cross country and track. And I had one young lady who ran, you know, under a five minute mile and she was very bright. Uh, athlete most cross-country runners are really good students mm-hmm. right statistically we see that i'm not just being biased that is the statistics <laughs> we have more yes. people who become ceos and own their own businesses like yourself uh, mm-hmm. that came from cross country in high school uh, so mm-hmm. i i generally see that we have pretty good students but she kind of you know breezed through high school it wasn't um, even though she was in more advanced classes it wasn't very difficult for her and she was able to handle the the workload i was giving her so her recovery is pretty good. Um, so I, I made the initial mistake of having another athlete who showed similar promise on a similar mm-hmm. program. And <laughs> although she initially got results, we, uh, she ended up getting buried in the, in the program. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, the next year I pulled way back and we ended up doing far less running, but we did emphasize more mechanical loading in the gym. So we got quite strong and she got Mm -hmm. to the point where she could do two and a half times her body weight on a deadlift. Now that's pretty, that's pretty rare. Um, right. Um, so, you know, very, very, good results with that and she ran Mm -hmm. the 100 meters and the mile Mm -hmm. those were kind of in the 400 you know so Mm -hmm. the 800 was kind of her specialty she ran a very quick 400 and a very very respectable mile but uh the the point is that she did that on about 20 miles of running a week that was that was it And I just let go of the idea of volume and as long as we were getting in good mass specific force work we're. I felt like we kind of connected a little bit more without needing as much um, accumulation we just did very personal intensification. And we just cut way back on the track work, even. And that seemed to work out pretty well. Now, she, that athlete, went on to become a med student. And in, in that program, again, unfortunately, what we saw was that her time slowed down quite a bit her freshman and sophomore years. Um, and, and then, you know, she was starting to get adjusted to her schedule, but also communication with her coaches. We're, we're seeing that she is making her way back to, uh, you know, the, her, her goals for her time, which eventually she wants to, I think, be at least say two Oh six for the 800. So, you know, those are goals that I think are very, um, transferable and for most Mm -hmm. people listening, because uh, you might not be a collegiate high school student, but of course you've got a full-time job. And we were just Mm -hmm. talking about this before the podcast, you and I um, (laughs) were talking about the amount of time now spending with our kids because of COVID, this really Mm -hmm. makes it tough on our schedule. So recovery is always an issue, I feel like, Mm -hmm. and it's about training, I think, smarter, not necessarily harder, but still Mm -hmm. being very consistent. And I believe in doing something every day for at least 20 minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was going to ask you about that because, you know, with with me, I'm pretty big about doing protocol every day for eight to 12 minutes. And if that's all you're doing, then at least we are, um, you know, creating a better set point for your body every day, every 24 hour cycle. We have something we're doing. What um, mm-hmm. What's your philosophy on? Uh, consistency or on getting in your programming? Do you like people to do things at least let's say three, four times a week, or do you try to strive for six times a week? Um, What's your ideas on that, Jessica?
1: In in terms of PT exercises?
0: Yes. yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, in terms of PT exercise, it really depends on what we're working on. You know, if we're working on the neuromuscular coordination or just the body learning on how to turn on the muscles that are postural muscles that are really around our core, more is better. So I tell them, you know, at least pick three exercises. We know in research that if someone picks three exercises a day, they'll be 72% compliant. If they, if I give them four exercises, they'll be 46% compliant. So I tell them Um, I'm going to give you more than three, but if you just pick three a day, that's going to give you that success you need. And with the neuromuscular coordination or these kind of um, activation exercises, I want them doing them, you know, four to six times a day, just one set whenever they think about it. So um, it's kind of scattered throughout the day as opposed to a bundle if they can't get it in during the bundle.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. It's so hard to, especially because you have so much knowledge in these areas to, it's like picking your favorite children though, right? So... (laughs) I will always try to say same thing. I'll give three to five exercises. But in other words, I feel like if you can fit it in in 12 minutes or less, then you're probably going to do it. Yeah. But when it comes to that, uh, sometimes I'm thinking, OK, like I can't eliminate this one. This one is going to work on thoracic extension. So that's got to be in there because we really need that. And that helps to unlock the chain. But then um, what am I going to take out if we if we're taking something out when and it's so hard to pick the movements, I think. So I like what you just said is you might give them five movements and then mm-hmm. you let the, uh, the person pick because they're probably mm-hmm. going to pick the things that they feel like are helping them the most, right? Yes, that
1: That is so true. And, and the other thing is, you know, just like we collaborated with Gwen and we said, okay, well, we need this done and we need this done. And we said, well, this exercise does both those things. Like, this is great. It's solving two birds with one stone. So I tend to yeah. also those exercises they have Even if they only pick three, they might be um, integrating a few different things. You know, it might be working on a hip flexor stretch with their thoracic rotation like we did with Gwen um, or some other things like that. So,
0: Yeah, no. And I just want to mention with Gwen collaborating with her, it's been it's been so educational for me to leaving my ego at the door. I. wanted to understand some of your philosophies and initially I was having Gwen do some oblique work mm. and uh, and then you had some input on that without giving it way too much my initial thought though was oh boy am I am what, what did I do here giving her oblique work when uh, her pelvic floor PT says that's a no go what did I do wrong why right and of course with me I wanted to make sure that I was respecting your relationship with Gwen, but also understanding that I had, uh, sort of, a, a guide, uh, or a map, if you will, that I was trying to follow for her gait. And so of course, obliques are heavily involved with somebody's gait. And of course I have, uh, Bobby McGee in my other ear saying, Hey, she needs to work on her, on her, uh, obliques. Right. So not, he's not saying that specifically, but he's saying she needs to work on this in her gait, which to me would say obliques, right? So, and I learned so much from you, but will you talk a little bit about, and this gets into the pelvic floor work now a little bit, but will you talk about why in her case um, that not needed, not, it's not that it doesn't need to be done. It's just that we have to do it in maybe a different way, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And obliques are always really important. You know, anybody listening to the podcast, don't think that if you have a pelvic floor issue, you can, you can never do obliques again. Cause that used to be the um, thought process 20 years ago in our pelvic floor profession. Um, so I think there's still a lot of um, um, confusion on that when people have either had babies, had a diastasis or have had some pelvic floor conditions that they think, oh, I can't do some of these bigger movements. And that's, um, not always the case so but when we look at um, Gwen it was more just a sequential order so when we look at kind of the core stability I think of the your core as more of like a pop can you have your diaphragm on the top which is why breathing is so important you have your pelvic floor on the bottom because it's just muscles for the bottom of that pop can and then you have your ab and back muscles that go around the canister and the pelvic floor and trans versus abdominus, which is this muscle that looks like a, um, almost like a back brace built out of muscle wraps around the system on the sides and pelvic floor and transverse abdominus, they actually anticipate movement. So as soon as your brain says, I'm going to do that one exercise that Matt wants me to do to get my obliques stronger, they're supposed to turn on before the movement happens. And so if that isn't the case, then we have to kind of get pelvic floor and transverse working first and then we add on the obliques. So that's why we need to do them in a different sequential order.
0: Okay. So I, I have a, a couple of questions on this, but a, a common thing, my first question would be that I get asked and, and I know the answer, but I still want to hear your answer on this is <laughs> doing oblique work, people get afraid that their sides are going to get too wide, right? Especially I think female athletes, um, or people who are afraid that they're going to look like they are getting wider aesthetically. They don't like that look. Um, now, is there any truth to that? If you train your obliques, will you get that thicker look?
1: No, um, more than, more often not than not, those obliques actually pull the ribs down in the front, um, depending on which oblique system we're working. Um, but bigger than that is just the injury implications if you don't train your obliques. You know, as runners, I think the glutes get too much credit um, in our profession because we've done a ton of glute um, exercises. Not that they aren't important, but glutes get, and deep hip rotators get so much credit but the obliques and the core stability are also what are helping maintain our hip staying level and not dropping too much when we're running from and being on a single leg stance. So if we want to prevent injury and prevent that hip from kind of moving out to the side, knee injuries, kind of going down the force vectors, um, those obliques are really, really functionally important.
0: No, that's, that's, that's great. And so everybody listening, you heard that from the doctor, right? You don't have to worry. It's, uh, it's amazing to me, the, uh, misinformation that's, that's Mm -hmm. out there. I think where that comes from though, is you see a lot of people with very wide or thicker sides that are very Mm -hmm. fit, but what we're looking at there is people that I think tend to, uh, prefer to do more powerlifting type of Mm -hmm. sports where the, the nature of the lifts in the sport itself is going to encourage. Um, that type of muscle growth. So they're, they're doing, they're, they're creating a stimulus where their body is trying to create a bigger brace for this really, really heavy, heavy, heavy loads and things like this. So that's where I think you might see somebody who is a phenomenally fit and a specialist in something like that, but that, that, that was very purposeful to get to that point. Right. And um, so that's where I think that we have to just realize, like you said, if af- actually, if anything, I think it helps to give us more of that taper, more of that uh, that type of a look. And uh, the other thing I was going to bring up is now we talk about the glutes. I love that you brought up <laughs> that it's not all about the glutes. And in mm-hmm. fact, uh, last night when I was giving this this talk for on the uh, the run shoe company, um, a lot of the conversation revolves around well, runners have to work on their glutes, mm-hmm. and I said, well, okay. Yes. We, we all should work on our glutes, right? Our glutes are our roots or however you want to think of that. I like to, I like to rhyme things, but I, and I do believe that we are, um, in large part, we are getting a lot of power. That's our anti-gravity muscle, right? So we're Mm -hmm. getting a lot of power, but it it matters where your foot's landing in the first place. So a lot of people don't right? And that's, that's what I say. (laughs) And, and I mean, and Jess, you work with a lot of runners, right? So, looking at uh, looking at that, I I've just I lost count of the amount of people that come into my facility mm-hmm. saying, okay, I don't know what's wrong. I've been working my glutes for a year now, mm-hmm. and I still have the same problems, and I'm not any faster. And yet, you know, I have a butt now. Like I, I've clearly I've clearly strengthened my glutes, and I I can do yeah. this much more weight, and I can do. And my short answer to that is yeah well okay but it's not really able to do its job and connect if your foot is not under your hip more right (laughs) so um getting back to the foot part of the conversation uh, what would you what would you say is that a common problem that people have their foot out too far in front of their hip and are there some simple maybe piece of advice you could give for something like that
1: yeah I'm gonna go back one second Matt on the glutes that you know we see dozens of Olympic and pro athletes and everybody listening should know when I manually muscle test their glutes, nobody has a five out of five on their glute strength. And so, um, I think everybody can know that even the pros and the Olympians don't have a five out of five and PT research even says, even if we get them to get a five out of five, it doesn't translate to our gait. And so that's where, as you're talking about the foot, where it strikes on the ground, That is really, really important. Um, And we oftentimes, we have people go up to our biomechanical lab and we do a video analysis of their um, gait pattern. And we so often see people overstriding with that foot in the front and so that overstriding in the front um, really is kind of a braking system. Um, and so really landing a little bit more under your center of gravity or trying to get that foot underneath. I always say, think about it landing right underneath you um, is really important as well as the front of your hip, because I don't care how strong you're trying to get your glutes. If you don't have enough hip mobility, so bringing your leg backwards into hip extension, because your hip flexors and your soas are tight, you're never going to turn your glutes on because you don't have the, the mobility to actually turn them on where they need to be turned on.
0: Yeah. And this is something that, um, I talked to you, but I call it spinal tap, right? Yeah. Um, so with the breathing, first of all, I try to Uh, going back to our part of our conversation talking about getting your breathing down with the quarter drill or or trying to understand where your center of mass is in relationship Mm -hmm. to uh, your, your breathing. I like to start to go off with maybe a seven, three, five breathing pattern, something very slow, forceful exhalation out for seven count, holding Mm -hmm. that for about a three count breathing back in for about a five count. Now, Uh, That being said, that's just an initial pattern that I like to use, but I'll have them go into asymmetrical planks doing that. So, Mm -hmm. for example, if they're in a lateral line position, they're doing a frontal plank and they're doing something Mm -hmm. like a leg raise. um, That to me, that type of stability that we're getting through the core, through the trunk, Mm -hmm. that's going to allow for better mobility uh, in the hip. Right. Mm -hmm. So for internal rotation, I think more specifically, and if we do things more in the like doing abdominal flexion type of movements in the, uh, the anterior, um, Uh, portion of the planks that, or like, in other words, doing anterior loading, I'm saying with good spinal flexion that might help with external rotation of, of the hip. Now, those are just very simple movements that I think, again, I can add some links to the show notes so you can see what that looks like. Um, but of course that, that to me is always my go-to. In fact, um, I was just talking about how I got off, uh, my prior conversation with um, Ben Knute just before we we talked. And Ben was uh, second in the world championships for 70.3 Ironman, phenomenal athlete, of course, but he has some internal uh, rotation restrictions. And so he's going through spinal tap. And in fact, the first three weeks, all he did was protocol for that eight to 12 minutes, twice a day based off of his assessment that we did. And then we went into spinal tap work. And now we're starting to get into some strength work. So now we're six weeks in roughly and starting to get into the mechanical loading more. Uh, That's, I believe that those positions need to be addressed first, but, um, any thoughts on that, Jess, because of course you have so much experience with this.
1: Yeah. You know, if it's a muscular restriction of the hip and not the joint capsule limiting into internal rotation, the, what you're talking about is absolutely wonderful because you're activating the diaphragm, which is the top of the pop can with the bottom, which activates the bottom of the pop can. We know that the pelvic floor and the diaphragm work together. And so as you're activating that breathing pattern, you're getting, you know, breathing. That's not just, you know, in the front of the, belly but that breathing that's 360 or all the way around the ribs and that can really relax some of those other muscles you activate the core muscles so that you can use the big movers to kind of do what they need to do so
0: okay yeah that's that's so well said. That's gold right there. Um, okay. So now let's talk about cinching a little bit because I'm still oh stuck gosh. on the butt plug stuff. Um, <laughs> is that, is we that why sometime, right? yeah, we gotta get there? Uh, my wife so. was laughing so hard when I told her, Jessica suggested I might try a butt plug, uh, for my running, but, um, <laughs> I imagine if I, if I use that, I'd want to singe in um, and I would certainly anticipate no, but uh, what's, what is the, what, and we'll get to the more serious uh, stuff. And I, this, this actually is important, but what is the reason for using a butt plug? Jessica, I got to ask this.
1: Yeah. You know, that's for our patients who have some fecal leakage. Um, so if they're having small amounts of leakage, um, there is an apparatus that they can um, just sort of insert. It's very, very small and minor but it just helps so that they can be more confident when they're out there and they are doing things like lifting, which causes more force into this pop can running Um, if they want to go golf and they're hitting that um, you know, there's a lot of force when we hit the golf club to the ball. So it just gives them some confidence to know that they're not going to get leakage when they're doing the things they love to do.
0: Oh, okay. I got you. Okay. That makes sense. (laughs) That makes sense. So, Everybody uh, listening might or might not know, but I, I had what I call tree trauma in my past, right? So I was uh, a Sawyer on a hotshot crew. I was cutting a tree that was on fire. Long story short, the top of the tree um, spun out and was was eaten away by fire. The vibration of the saw caused it to break. I used the base of the tree itself to block me, but part of the top of the tree came down on me and basically crushed my left side. So, um, I guess I just admitted to the world that I have some fecal issues when I, when I run. So, uh, that's, that, that is something I have to consider with all the training that I've done though. You did mention before something about an overactive, um, System right within the pelvic floor. Um, so is this something that uh, because I had to go through so much intentional tension, intentional technique on the pelvic floor, and I think you know without even me realizing it over time, I think that's where I started to recognize that I needed to really secure that canister down, and otherwise I was in pain. So I uh, that's what got me originally interested. I started doing some uh, some work with uh, PTs. And then I started to do, um, some internships and I started to understand a lot more about breathing mechanisms, et cetera. But did I actually create, um, and, uh, uh, overactive, uh, pelvic floor. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah. You know, I think the, the misconception out there is that we can just do Kegels or kind of a pelvic floor strengthening exercise. Everybody prescribes them. We hear them after babies. We hear them if we have leakage. Um, but so often we find, especially in our athletes where all of us have learned how to train that core system really, really well. We oftentimes see that those muscles get tight because if we, weakness. It's no different than your hamstrings sometimes get tight if they're weak. And so, you know, if a muscle is a muscle. It's going to respond the same way. So I always say, you know, if you have, if you think about that pop can, if you're having pain anywhere around the pop can, um, hernias are a big thing. If people have had like an inguinal hernia um, or an, an abdominal hernia, um, or they're getting leakage and they have kind of tried that bout of, oh, maybe these muscles are just need strengthening and that didn't work. Oftentimes learning that those muscles might be tight too tight and learning how to relax them.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah and I do have a history of abdominal hernias. I, I mm-hmm. had a couple of those uh, in my past and, um, and that hasn't occurred in about five years now. And I, mm-hmm. I attribute that to the amount of attention that I give to my breathing. Even when I run, mm-hmm. I start off with a 5-4 pattern. I, call, I start off walking and I breathe out for five mm-hmm. steps. I breathe in for four. When I start running, I breathe out for four steps. I breathe mm-hmm. in for three steps. And then when I start to, and that's my easy running. And, um, and as I start to run faster, becomes like something like two, one. So Mm -hmm. that seems to have helped me a lot. Um, but what I think happens and you, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, but I, I believe it's not just me who's, who has these kind (laughs) of issues, right? I believe what happened and why I didn't have any more reoccurrences of the abdominal hernia is because of the doming. I think, um, in other words, I get a really good cinch and, then I dome out without having to really work for it. That's where I get to relax a little bit more. Um, am I right on that thinking or what's what would you say there?
1: It, so if you're, if went on you're taking your five seconds inhale, if mm-hmm. you're thinking those pelvic floor muscles or kind of the muscles around the rectum, um, those muscles should be relaxing. And so that long inhale is helping you find some relaxation of those muscles. Mm-hmm. And when we take that really nice full breath in and then we cinch, that really activates the right muscles. It activates transverse and pelvic floor come together and just give us a little contraction. We use an ultrasound machine in our clinic. And if someone just starts from kind of their normal breath and then tries to do a cinch, then what happens is their obliques take over without getting um, the pelvic floor and the transverse abdominus to kind of come to the table first. So I think your breathing patterns are setting up your transverse abdominis to give you some good lumbar stability around that canister so that that hernia, um, doesn't have impact on it.
0: Well, that's something you taught me. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. <laughs> um, and I, great I, discussions
1: on it. <laughs>
0: it. It is. And you mentioned too, like how you would see that in the mirror. Like um, you would see like yeah. a zipper. I think you call it zipper, right? Yeah. It looks like there's a zipper down. Like if you were to look down the center of your abdominals, right. That there, yeah. it looks almost like a zipper in the center, right. Or there's a yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. And domain is something we want to avoid is kind of that domain or tending. So when people look down and they try and activate their core, if they take a breath in and really let kind of ribs expand belly comes out. And then as they do their cinching, I always say that cinching should feel like you're taking your two hip bones in the front and you're just trying to pull those two hip bones together. You shouldn't feel your muscles and your hip bones pop up towards your fingers if you're feeling there, or it should just feel like the triangle of where kind of your um, pants sit. Um, that's where we should feel kind of that tightening. And it, then if I lift my head and I do, you know, like a head lift, or I'm going to go do start to do a sit up. If I see down the center line of my abdominals, I see kind of a pouching right there. That's what we call abdominal tenting if I lift my head up and I see kind of my six pack abs look like they come out as a big mound together, that's abdominal dome. And so we really don't want either of those two things that both of those things tell us, we just need to activate the under system, the pelvic floor and transverse a little bit differently before we bring the big global muscles to the table.
0: No, I love that. So yeah, not, I called it zipper, but tenting, right? Tensing. Same, same yep. idea. Yep. Um, But what's really interesting is, well, first of all, you know, I do a lot of videos for online programming. And uh, somebody said to me recently, uh, hey, coach, you've gotten um, leaner. And I haven't actually I haven't gotten leaner. I changed my breathing patterns where now I am breathing in first because that's what she taught me. And now I, of course, am able to cinch in so much better. I look back at some of my old videos where I would just breathe out first. And what I uh, see in some of those old videos is that um, you can see that doming Yeah, and it makes, makes it makes a different look altogether. Right.
1: The other thing people say to me is, you know, especially moms postpartum, um, but oftentimes if we kind of grip and kind of use our abdominals too much, we kind of suck our belly in or pull our spine too tight to our belly all the time is we get that pooch, you know, the pooch underneath pooch. And people go, oh, wow, that that's gone away once I activate the right system. So and it all starts with what you were saying before with breathing and stacking the ribs, because if I don't stack the ribs correctly now, I always think of it if my ribs are kind of flaring in the front, it's hard for the the sweater in the front of my in my um, abdomen to kind of come together. So that stacking of those ribs and the breathing is just as important of how we activate the core muscles themselves.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes total sense. And, you know, another thing I'd like to share before we move on is um, I've always had to put a lot of work in for hand ham, my hamstring and, um, mm-hmm. especially the origin, I have some tendinopathy, uh, you know, there, and it's been, I mean, chronic since I was, Oh, I'd say 21 or so. And that's when I was doing the heavy mileage and over a hundred miles a week. And, um, eventually that's kind of what took me out of, of competing. Now the tree trauma didn't help my, um, my hamstring has been, um, it's, it's like, so I have to remind myself that I had a hamstring issue at this point and I do attribute a lot of it to the breathing, but again, not until I changed my breathing pattern based off of your advice did it completely go away. It got better the way I was breathing, but it, it's it gone completely away um, This in this last, I'd say now about six weeks or so. Um, and I've been working That's on great. it for about, I think about nine to 10 weeks since we talked about it. Um, and also I was working with a bunch of, uh, junior elites. Um, Mm -hmm. I say a bunch, there were eight, eight junior elites. And of course, um, this is a very small camp because of COVID we have to have the Mm -hmm. the distancing. And so, uh, but I like that too, because we can really specialize with these juniors. Uh, What I uh, did based off of what you taught me is I looked for that doming, right. Or Mm -hmm. that tenting. Mm -hmm. And what I found is breathing out first, we had two (sighs) out of the eight athletes that that had that. And then six out of the eight, they didn't have that. So they could breathe out without breathing in first. Now, is that typical? In other words, that would two out of eight, geez, uh, what's the math on that? That's 25%, right? So is that pretty typical or what do you usually find there? Uh,
1: what was the age?
0: Um, would they, they would range between, it was as young as 17 and then up to 23.
1: Okay. So for that age, I think that's a pretty normal, um, I don't have research to back that up, but just clinically, um, kind of anecdotally, I'd say that's a pretty fair number. Um, if you're talking about kind of a postpartum or anybody who's had abdominal surgery, back surgeries, um, then I think that number, um, could be significantly more people are doing it incorrectly than correctly.
0: Oh, okay. So people listening, a lot of people should maybe try this out and see
1: Yeah.
0: Um, again. I feel like there's a lot of videos that I've put together. Actually in the video that I did on this, I talk about Jessica Dorrington taught me this. So you guys will be able to see in the video. I, I talk about what Jessica went over and I show with my shirt, what the zipping or tenting would look like in the doming. So Perfect. So um, well, Jess, I think that was super helpful. And I think a lot of people listening should try that out. I know a big part of your passion, what you love to work and specialize in with uh, interpartum pelvic care, it concerns more than just the delivery. And of course, you were talking to me about when and how you had gotten her after her, uh, she delivered, but you really feel like it would have made a big difference if she had come in before. So why is it important that you would see a pelvic floor specialist um, when you first realize that you're going to have a baby?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. You know, I mean, I think number one, there's so many questions and you don't have a lot of answers when you're pregnant of going, what should I do? How much can I do? Is it safe to go run my interval workout? Is it safe to lift weights? So all of those things are important. Um, We also know that getting your core back, you're twice as likely to get your core back if you're doing the right core exercises during your pregnancy. You're twice as likely to get back to the things that you were doing before so if you loved running 50 miles a week before you're twice as likely to get back to running 50 miles a week um, if you're doing the right things during so you know we're so used to in this society of just saying oh here's a baby and go home good luck and you know, we hope you don't have any issues and we don't send them to PT until after there's issues as opposed to sending them during um, the nine months that their body's actually going through those changes. So number one, it's developing their program And then number two, we've talked a ton about this um, pop can theory. And when you deliver a baby, baby's gotta come out some way, right? (laughs) And so whether that's a cesarean delivery or a natural um, or vaginal delivery, excuse me, um, we have to realize that the muscles are gonna be impacted one way or another. And so for us to be able to teach people how to push is really, really impactful. And if they can teach, um, if we can teach them how to push properly, we can figure out what positions are best for them to deliver in. Um, We can also look at them and say, well, you have a low back injury and you have a hip injury. So these are the positions you should push in. So we can really kind of help protect their musculoskeletal system Obviously, baby and mom's um, you know medical um, needs come first, but we can really try and protect those muscles. And there are positions that have about a sixty seven percent chance of not injuring the pelvic floor muscles um, if women know how to push in those positions properly. So we really can get people um, through the process a little bit faster and you know get their core back um, you know functioning well afterwards.
0: Okay, no, that's that's a great. Uh, well, we should definitely be talking about what we can do while we're pregnant, though. I think that's another yeah. big subject, and I know again with with Gwen, she ran through her pregnancy. Um, but mm-hmm. I've always been interested in how much can we do. I think the simple answer is that you don't add stress, you don't do more than you're mm-hmm. used to. But um, you know, is Uh, Do you have any advice on that? Is there some things that we can take away to make sure that we're staying healthy? We should still be active, but we're not overdoing it.
1: Yeah, you know, as long as someone doesn't have any precautions and they work with their OB to make sure that they're cleared for activity, um, we really actually, you know, back, um, I'd say when I even had my first child, who's 10 now, they told me I couldn't get my heart rate over 140 beats per minute. Um, That was the kind of standard of the American College of Obstetrics. and. Now we know that if you look at the Borg scale, so the rate of exertion scale, we can get into a 14 to a 16. Um, I always tell people, if you're listening, you know, if you can talk at least four words comfortably, you're probably in the right zone. So if you can say, you know, talk four words and then maybe have to take a little bit of a breath before you're going to talk to your running partner, um, that's probably the right place to be. And um, with strength training, we know, like you said, load, um, it's safe to do. We just want to do, you know, maybe 12 to 14 repetitions of those exercises. That way we know we're not imparting too much stress on those ligaments that are getting a little bit more um, lax as the pregnancy goes.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's helpful for sure. And I, there, there are, of course, precautions that we, that we need to take. And uh, with my wife, she was, we had um, our daughter, Mia, we had her about two months early. So uh, Mm -hmm. my, my wife uh, was on bed duty there towards the end. And of course she was worrying because she's, she was a professional dancer. She, she trained through her pregnancy. She didn't do any harm there, but of course she was worried that she had, right? So now I can tell her to listen to this podcast. She didn't do anything wrong. And I think we um, we do. We guilt ourselves into some of these yeah. things, thinking that it's our fault if something goes wrong. Sometimes it's just part of what's going to happen, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Beautiful, yeah. And Jessica, I, I know that you were talking a little bit more about addressing the entire body before, and I love the analogy of the can, Mm -hmm. Um, when, when it comes to working the body, and I know that this is, again, a complex issue that we're trying to simplify, right. But when Mm -hmm. it comes to, uh, the, especially the, the floor, the pelvic floor, Mm -hmm. are there a couple of total body type of integration movements that you think are your go-tos? Um, what, what would you say maybe everybody who is listening could, could benefit from?
1: Can make me only pick a few. We <laughs> could be on here all day. Um, you know, if I had to pick a few, I think the first one would be something for that neuromuscular coordination, the foot balance component with the stacking and a hip movement. And that's that band exercise we talked about of putting the band under the big toe. They stand with their knee on the single leg that they're standing on. Um, it's slightly bent, so it mimics mid-stance. And then they bring their other leg out and back fairly fast, almost at the cadence of what they would do for running cadence. And it just makes the body have to work on balance in the same manner that we would with our cadence with running. So that one kind of hits the foot. It hits strengthening of the you know, hip rotators and hip abductors, as well as get a, gets us that neuromuscular coordination. And we can put some links in for these as well. If you want yeah. uh, for exercises, my second one is I absolutely love a side plank. But the side plank where you're on the elbow, you get your shoulders stacked up really nice and tall, and you're really thinking about bringing kind of your rib and your hip together. So they're lifting up off the ground that activates the obliques on the bottom side and that bottom leg. I like the knee bent, um, just because it makes that glute activate on that side a little bit more, and then you can go from there and, you know, do the hip abduction, um, whether you do banded or um, but that way you're getting kind of your glute, you're getting your obliques and you're getting your glute on the other side at the same time. So that's probably my second um, favorite exercise. And <laughs> then for third exercise, I just am in love with the primal plank series. And, you know, that's going on hands and knees and our hips are at 90 degrees. So it's not a plank where your legs are out straight, but your knees are coming down And so you look almost like you're in a tabletop position. Um, So the knees are closer to the hands than what you would typically see in a straight plank. And from there, you can do clamshells. You can do hip abduction, bringing the leg out to the side. You can do hip extension. You can do knee drops. So one knee is dropping down. So you're working some transverse plane. Um, So that one also is probably one of my go-tos.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, no, those, that's good descriptions. I like that. And of course, you know, again, we can have some links so you guys can check out these movements, but that's beautiful. And so, Jess, I'd like to kind of finish off talking just a little bit more about what it is you feel that we need in our daily programming or what we need in our lives to help to support our goals long-term. And I, I know uh, I'll give you an example that I'm thinking about which is recovery. And I've really focused a lot more on my sleeping patterns. Um, this is something that I kind of took or I neglected really um, my recovery needs for years. And I definitely started paying the price as I got older, but just because I could get away with it when I was younger, I realized now that doesn't mean I should have. Um, I feel Uh, so much better once I have really established healthy um, sleeping patterns, really. And when I say healthy, I mean, timing out my day uh, all the way from, Finishing my last cup of coffee by noon, which I know some people probably think that's late, but for me, that's good because it used to be all day um, that I wonder why I couldn't fall asleep. And and then, of course, um, just other things like not having the screen um, in front of me, especially not work related just reading a book in the last half an hour before I, in an actual book, like a, I'm not talking about a Kindle, but I just actually read a book with, um, you know, with um, something that allows me to, relax a little bit, maybe uh, something that's a little bit lighter or softer to 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 read, not something that's, uh, you know, that I'm thinking about for work, or it's something that's going to uh, spark up my thoughts for the next day as much. So I can really start to unwind. And so my sleeping patterns have improved quite a bit. And I do feel like that's been a big pivotal point in my recovery. Um, is there any advice that you have for people, though, when it comes to aspects of your just, over old- overall health and um, and conditioning their process what you might advise there?
1: Um, number one and I'll say sleep I totally agree with I just think we are not getting enough sleep and sleep is the number one thing I think that tops the list for most people and for most of my patients that um, you know whether it's their healing or whether it's their recovery or whether it's even their emotional health that sleep is really really important. Um, as a PT, I'm going to say the other thing is movement. You know, we are all sitting so long now for a Zoom call that might be, you know, over an hour long. Four hours, six hours in front of the computer, and oftentimes not getting up. And so, if we think we're going to go use our bodies in these really beautiful ways with running, um, but we've sat in a chair for eight hours, um, you can only imagine the movement patterns that have been created and the muscle tensions that have happened. So, just getting up out of your chair every 30 minutes and doing a quick little stretch or just standing and kind of stretching the front of your hips out um, can really be effective. Sometimes, if I can't stand, if I'm in a meeting I'll even drop my leg to the side of my chair so that I can still get a hip flexor stretch, even though I'm sitting and if I have to maintain a certain position. Um, so that's probably number two. And the other thing is, you know, I think as, as runners, um, do what, like, do what you love to do. You know, as runners, I think we're only programmed to run. or um, Our brain thinks we just always have to do it. And my running partner broke up with me last, a couple weeks ago. We've been running together for like eight or nine years. And um, she said, I don't love it anymore. And she said, I'm still going to run with you every Thursday, but I'm going to take a break and I'm going to do some spin classes and I'm going to do some strengthening. I'm going to do some HIIT workouts. You know, I just, I need something to spice it up. And, and I, I thought it was valiant. I thought it was beautiful. I said, you know what, that's great. Like if, if you're not motivated to get out the door, you know, maybe try and mix in some other things so that you do get motivated. So, um, cause movement is medicine and it really doesn't matter what type of movement, uh, you know, it, all, it doesn't always have to be running. And I think that's where us runners tend to live.
0: Oh, that's, that's fantastic. That's a really good point. I think that we have to have some variety and, uh, mm-hmm. add some spice to things once in a while. I, I love that. Um, you said valiant because I think <laughs> it does, it takes, uh, it takes a bit of guts to make changes sometimes, but mm-hmm. it can be for the better, right? And yes. I just think that when it comes to all of these things, it's about sticking with the basics a little bit more and looking mm-hmm. at all of these supplements that are out there, for example, and I, I've, again, talked to a lot of people who are wanting to know what supplements they should take or how much protein mm-hmm. a day they need and all this these things, they're so fo- <laughs> focused on that and yet they're not getting a eight hours of sleep Mm -hmm. and, uh, they're not doing micro sets, right? Like you're talking about micro sets throughout the day and they're not Mm -hmm. offering enough variety. So, you know, again, Mm -hmm. these are, these, these are basic things that I think we can all focus on a little bit more. Do we really need that, uh, supplement or that, um, that magic bullet, right? We, Mm -hmm. I think we think that that stuff is more important than it really is. I think that stuff, just like its name suggests is supplemental (laughs) at best. And, uh, I've been personally just trying much harder to stay away from any supplements. I'm trying to just keep it all just, um, responsive to my own gut, if you will, right? So trusting your gut and following your instincts and then realizing that you can make better choices, that oftentimes I think leads to the results that you actually want, right?
1: And water, you know, that's my big one is... I can't believe how much better I drink. I'm not a great water drinker and, um, I can't believe how much better I I run, how much better I feel, how much more awake I am just by, you know, getting a few more glasses in and not always leaning towards my coffee. Um, so I agree with you on all of those things. No,
0: I love it. Jessica, I just loved having you on today. There's so much more that I think we can talk about. And yeah, we could
1: dive into each one for hours, right? We
0: could, we could. And I do plan on spending some time with you this year in Oregon. I'm looking forward to that. And I think when we do that, we should have another podcast talking about your clinic and what you're doing there with your athletes. And can't wait to, uh, to see you in action as well. So I'm looking forward to this for so many reasons reasons, but also I think that I'm going to learn a lot. So thank you for educating me <laughs> yes, even wow. further today. And of course our listeners, I know people are going you know, to love this podcast and get a lot out of it. A lot of gold in this podcast. So thank you so much for sharing your vast knowledge. You are one of the the very best. And, and certainly uh, I feel like my career has only elevated and my ability to serve athletes because of what you've been willing to share with me. So thank you so much for your time.
1: Well, likewise, and thanks for having me on and for just all you do for our running community. Cause it's so important to get all of this information out, um, to everyone and, you know, just expand everyone else's knowledge so that they know what's best for their bodies.
0: Yeah, man. Well, we'll have to go for a run together when when yeah, we're yeah, and
1: we're gonna have to look at your core on the ultrasound. So ah. <laughs> we're gonna see if you're really doing your cinching correctly. <laughs>
0: that's right. Oh man, i see. So you
1: better practice.
0: <laughs> I'm going to practice. Oh man, now you gave me a goal. I love it. I love it. All right, the I'm gonna be ready.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't pull the ultrasound. All right, Jess. That's that's the deal. All that's the right. deal. All right. Thank you All so right. much.